this morning we're kicking off a series we'll be looking at for the next five weeks about uh, the roles and the characters that we play in life. And these are the kind of four basic character types you'll see in just about every story. And as you watch, maybe as you go through this morning and then you begin to think about the movies or the books that you've read, uh, you'll see how each of these characters are in the stories. And that's what we're drawn to, that's what we identify with. But the reason we are drawn to them and identify with them is because they're the roles that we ourselves play out in our life. And my hope is that you'll be able to think about your life and think about the way you respond to adversity uh, differently based on what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. And if you think about each of those different characters, the, the victim, the villain, the hero, and the guide, every one of them has faced adversity. I mean, think about whatever movie you want to think about, whatever story you want to think about. Think about each character. And what you'll think is you notice through their story types, you'll see that each one's faced adversity. What defines what role they play, though, is how they deal with adversity. That's the pivotal issue with each one of these characters in a story. If you want to boil it down, how they face adversity is what determines whether they are the victim, the villain, the hero, or the guide, what they've done with adversity. So if you think about the victim, for instance, uh, the victim basically says, well, what was I to do? There's nothing I can do. I'm completely helpless. I'm just a victim. Right? There's, they, they have no... Uh, ability to change the outcome of their life. At least that's how they see it. What's happened to me was done to me, and I was powerless to do anything about it. I'm still powerless to do anything about it, and so I just have to accept this, and this is the way that it is. Uh, if you think through some of the movies or, or stories that you know well, uh, in the Hunger Games, PETA is the victim, right? Only victor of the Hunger Games to never actually have to kill anybody, right? What did he do? He just basically limped his way with a cut leg while the other girl did all the work, right? That's pretty much what he did. He just complained, where does Katniss find him? He's buried in the mud. And then he sits there and cries, please stay with me. I can't do anything. Right? He's the victim throughout that whole thing. Um, in, the movie, in the movie Frozen, Elsa is the victim, right? No, I don't want to build a snowman. I can't build a snowman. I can't because I got these uh, you know, ice power problems, and so I just need to run away because I can't do anything. I'm, I'm absolutely powerless to, to, to fix anything whatsoever, so I just got to run away and just let it go and just, <laughs> right? She's a victim. She, she can't do anything about her situation, and so she can't build snowmen. <laughs> Sometimes it's, you have to take a while to think, like, who's the victim? Like, in Star Wars, who's the victim? C-3PO. Right? I mean, oh, we're doomed, we're doomed, right? You know, how, how many times is Chewbacca carrying around his random parts? You know, just, he's always the victim no matter what happens. And think about it, he's right there with, with R2-D2 the whole time. R2-D2 doesn't play the victim. R2-D2 is always, you know, he's got the little thing, he's, you know, he's always doing something. But you think C-3PO would be far better equipped to do something than that little droid unit. But every single time, though, he plays the victim. Uh, Bond movies, pretty much there's always a girl who's the victim, right? Now, there's always the son that started as a victim, but then you realize she's really the villain. But then there's the other one who's always just the victim girl, and that seems like in almost every one of the Bond films. You also see this played out in Scripture. I mean, after all, you go to the very beginning of the book, and you find the very first two victims of all mankind, right? Adam and Eve. We're victims, right? God, what did you expect? You put this woman here with me, and what did you think was going to happen? I, I was just minding my own business. She did all of this to me, so you, you deal with her because I'm just a victim here. And then what does she say? It's not on me. I didn't have anything to do with this. It's this serpent that you allowed to come into the garden. That's what they're responsible for all this. And then Satan's sitting there like, oh, yeah, it's me. This is really fun. This is what I wanted to see happen all the time. 
right? I want everybody to become victims. That's what I want. I want you to have a victim mentality throughout your life. That's Satan's goal for your life, is that you would either become a victim or join him as a fellow villain. That's really his goal for you in your life. And so the history of humanity starts off with Adam and Eve as victims. You then can move through the Old Testament. You'll see more and more victims as you move along. Uh, Saul plays a great victim card. Uh, When Saul is first uh, anointed as king, where is he at? He's hiding. He's hiding in the luggage. He's afraid to, to embrace the whole kingship thing to begin with. And then later on, when he makes bonehead decision after bonehead decision, and the prophet Samuel comes and confronts him on him, he's like, oh, it was the soldiers did that, and, and the people wanted me to do that. I, I didn't have a choice in the matter. I, did, I wasn't responsible for all of this, right? Because victims are never to blame. Victims always have somebody else to blame. Victims always have an excuse for everything that's happened. And so Saul plays that role very well. Job goes down the victim path for a while. I just wish I was never born. I wish this never happened. I wish my life didn't even exist. He kind of goes down the whole, it's a wonderful life moment. Like I just, what if I just never existed? Then the whole world would be a lot better. Or he has these other times where he plays the victim card where he's like, he's mad at God, but then he looks at God and he's like, what am I going to do? I, I, I wish I could take you to court like somebody else, but, but it's, like, it's like I live in Mayberry where you're the sheriff and then you're the judge too, right? Like, like how do you get out of a speeding ticket when the sheriff who gave you the ticket then sits up on the bench as the judge? That's pretty much what it's like with God. How could I argue against God? Job chapter nine, 9, he says, you know, if somebody wanted to take God to court, would it be possible to ever even uh, begin to have an argument against him? No, he'd shut you up instantly. I mean, he's the defense attorney plus the prosecuting attorney plus the judge plus the jury. He's the whole thing right there. It's, it's, it's a whole rigged system. There's nothing I can do. Gideon, if you know Gideon's story from Judges chapter 6, he starts off and God says, I want you to lead the people to rescue them. He's like, me? How could you? Let me remind you who I am, God. I can't do this. I am from Manasseh, which is the smallest of the 12 tribes. And then amongst the tribe of Manasseh, I'm from the smallest, weakest, poorest family in the smallest tribe in Israel. And not only that, in my own family, I'm the youngest, least influential, least influential, powerful person in my whole family. So how could I, the least person, the least powerful, the weakest, the youngest, and the smallest, poorest, weakest family amongst the smallest, poorest, weakest tribe ever do anything, God. I can't do this. And so he plays the victim card. Or how about the Israelites wandering through the wilderness for 40 years? Victim, victim, victim. Oh, if only we go back to Egypt. Why'd you bring us out here? We're just going to die. There's nothing we can do. God doesn't want us anymore. I don't even know if we should be here. The whole thing is just victim, 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 the whole uh, journey across the wilderness. Uh, The other character we see uh, in uh, our stories that we follow is the villain. So sometimes adversity comes and people say, I'm helpless, I can't do anything about it. The villain, if you notice all the villains, all their backstories, they all have hurt and pain too. But what the villains decided is, I'm going to make sure this never happens to me again. I'm going to be the one doing the hurt and not the one getting hurt. I'm going to protect myself so I don't let anybody else in, so nobody will ever uh, have the opportunity. I'm not going to trust anybody. I would rather use somebody than trust somebody and make them my minion rather than make them my partner. And so I will demean people. I will use people. I will get back at people. I will use whatever means necessary to accomplish my own purposes so I can protect myself. That's what the villain does. And if you think about the classic villains in history, uh, Anakin Skywalker, right? He's so bent and he's been hurt because Padme is going to die. And so what's he do? He classically turns to the dark side and becomes Darth Vader. I hope I didn't give that away for anybody. (laughs) You've had time. Think about the the backstories that Disney's been giving us on some of the classic villains from Sleeping Beauty 
uh, or from the 101 Dalmatians, right? So Maleficent and Cruella. And what are they doing? They're telling you the backstory. This is why they're so villainous. I mean, you can kind of understand why she wants to kill puppies when you see where she came from and the things that happened to her, right? That, that all makes sense now, and you won't be so upset when she wants to kill puppies in the next movie because of everything that's happened to her, right? It's kind of this weird thing. It's like this twi- they're kind of twisting your mind a little bit because they're explaining to you why are they a villain? Because they've been hurt. And so the way that they dealt with their hurt is they protected themselves. They put up walls. They began to use people instead of trusting people. They made sure they were going to be the ones doing the hurting instead of letting other people hurt them. And so they go down that same path. In Scripture, of course, you have the villain of all villains, the villain to begin all villainhood, which was, of course, Satan, who begins there in the garden, continues to destroy and uh, defame everything that God tries to do. And he wants to use people and hurt people uh, only to get back at God in some way, shape, or form. You see Jacob plays a great role of a villain. Uh, Jacob and his brother Esau. Jacob ends up stealing his brother's birthright and stealing his brother's blessing and then makes off out of town with both of them. And he plays that villain and then he goes over and he sort of swindles and manipulates his father-in-law who's trying to swindle and manipulate him. And so he's just villain, villain, villain uh, along the way. Uh, Joseph's brothers play the role of a villain in the next story in the Old Testament over towards the end of the book of Genesis. Joseph's brothers see their younger brother coming. They're jealous of him. So they say, hey, Let's throw him in the pit. You know, let's kill him. They're like, oh, no, 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 there's no money in that. Let's sell him as a slave. We'll send him off to Egypt, to a foreign country. That way we can make a little cash on the side. You know, we won't you know, feel bad for having killed him. And so they're the classic villains in that story. Uh, pretty much every king in the nation of Israel is a villain. Uh, even the good ones like David have still villain issues. I mean, come on. I mean, David was a good king, but there was that little, little incident where he stole somebody else's wife and had him murdered. I mean, uh, you know. I think if you ask Uriah, is he a good king or a villain? I think Uriah would say, I think he's kind of a villain to me. Just personally, I'm just telling you, since he's got my wife and I'm dead, I'm going to tell you right now, I think he's a villain. Um, Judge for yourself. I guess it's all a matter of perspective with history sometimes. But pretty much every king in the Old Testament is villain, 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 which is why the monarchy and the kingdoms fall, because it just, after so many villains, God eventually just says, that's it, we're going to wipe this out and start, start over fresh. Uh, going to the New Testament, and you've got villains who are looking to arrest Jesus, to falsely accuse him, and they ultimately want to have Jesus murdered and executed. And it's just, you know, the classic villain stories play out there in the New Testament as well. Um, then you see the hero motif. There's lots of hero motifs. A, he- a hero is simply a character who's faced the same kind of adversities as the villains or the victims. In a lot of stories, the hero and the villain were best friends growing up. And the same thing happened to both of them. And then one of them dealt with it by becoming a villain, and one of them dealt with it by becoming a hero. So what's the difference between a hero and a villain or victim? Well, the hero is the one who accepts the things that have been done to him or has gone through and takes responsibility for it, asks themselves, okay, what do I have to do to work through this? And every single time, that typically is going to involve, I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to transform. So the villain says, I'm going to change everything else around me. The victim says, I can't change anything. The hero says... I understand that what probably has to change is me. And so I will accept the things I cannot change, and I will change the things that I can. And the hero has to find the wisdom to know the difference, which is where the guide comes in. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, So that's what the hero does. The hero just simply says, I'm going to accept these challenges, and I will transform my life to work around them to move through the adversity. So you go through a lot of the classic stories. Luke Skywalker, right? He starts off with adversity. He, he kind of thinks he knows his mother has passed away. He doesn't know who his father is. He's living with his aunt and uncle. What happens in the beginning of Star Wars? You can give it away. And, you know, Uncle Owen, he's, he's, he's crispy. And so he's got a, what's he going to do with that issue, right? 
Well, he says, well, I, there's nothing for me here. I might as well join the rebellion. And so he sets off and he transforms and becomes a Jedi to be a part of the change. He transforms himself through that process. Um, as a, what does Katniss do? Katniss is another one. She's from the weakest of all the districts, and so she's got to transform into a hero to accept all the adversity that she's faced because there's other districts out there who seem to have a lot more money and a lot more people behind them along the way. And so what is she going to do? She's going to accept all of these things, plus she's going to drag Peta's butt along the whole way and find a way to somehow do a horrible thing, and yet still come out as a hero on top as a result of it. Isn't it amazing? She's, you know, actually has to kill people, but you want her to in a sense almost, right? So, so she heroically has to change into becoming a hero that she never wanted to be. She just wanted to mind her own business, and so she has to transform. You know, go through the scripture, you see lots of heroes. Uh, Joseph is probably the best case study of a guy with a hero mentality. That's the guy whose brothers threw him into the pit, and they sell him off as a slave, and you know what he does? He's like, well, if I'm going to be a slave, I'm going to be the best slave there is in all of Egypt. And sure enough, he becomes the best slave in all of Egypt. He rises up to prominence in his master's household to the point where his master trusts him and puts him in charge of everything. Well, he then gets falsely accused and gets thrown into prison. But you know what a hero does? He says, well, if I'm going to be in prison, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be the best prisoner I can possibly be. So he rises up to great prominence there within the prison such that the warden doesn't even bother keeping after him. Really, they just say, hey, you be in charge of all this stuff. I'll trust you with everything because I can trust you and you're embracing your role in the place that you, you know, God's put you. After that, crazy thing happens, he becomes prime minister, which might sound like a good thing, except for the fact that there's going to be seven years of famine. But you know what he does? He embraces it and says, I'm going to make the best of it. I'll be the best prime minister there's ever been, even in the midst of a worldwide pandemic and famine. I'll do everything I can to be the best prime minister I possibly can. And then guess what happens? His brothers, the ones who sold him as a slave, sold him out, lied about where he was, said left him for dead, they show up. They, they need a handout. And you know what Joseph does? He's the best brother he could possibly be. He cares for him, loves on him, and forgives him. No matter what adversity comes into his life, he has chance after chance after chance to either play the victim or play the villain, and every single time he plays the hero, the hero, the hero, the hero, hero. Amazing story if you go through the Old Testament. David, I mentioned before, has some villainous issues, uh, but he also has some heroic moments too. I mean, this is a guy, if you think about the odds that we're facing this guy, he goes from peasant to king. I mean, he literally is the rags to riches story. When the prophet Samuel shows up to his dad's house and says, hey, God's told me that... I think one of your kids is going to be the next king. So can you bring him out here so I can figure out which one God you know, is talking about? He says, well, here they all are. It's like the classic Cinderella story. And he's like, eh, none of these. The slipper doesn't fit. Use the motif as you will. Um, and he says, do you have any others? He goes, well, there is, you know, Brenda Sella David. She's, he's out there in the field. Uh, you don't want him, though. He couldn't possibly be the one. Bring him in here. And sure enough, that's the one. Not even his own dad thought he could amount to anything. And then he goes out to the battlefield, and his brother's like, what are you doing out here? You don't belong out here. You're not a warrior. Everybody's cowering, though, in the face of Goliath. But who is the one who has the, the ability to take on Goliath? Because why? Because as I trust in God through this thing. And it doesn't matter what stands in my way, even if it's a giant, God will take it out, or he'll bring me through it somehow, some way. And so he takes out the giant, and then Saul becomes a villain in his life, and so he faces the adversity of Saul coming after him, and so he spends many, many years out in the wilderness being transformed. You know what he does out in the wilderness during that time? He writes the Psalms. He writes the Psalms. That's the story of David's transformation from being a shepherd to becoming a king, to becoming the shepherd king um, throughout Scripture. Uh, of course, you know, the obvious hero in Scripture of all, I mean, what's the right answer in every Sunday school class? Jesus, right? You know, Jesus was a hero. What was his, you know, his you know, crowning heroic moment is when he's there in the garden facing the adversity of the cross and he looks up to heaven and he says, God, 
if there's any possible way to take this cup from me, to take this cross away from me, do it. But not my will, but your will be done. And in doing so, uh, he transforms his life into becoming a sacrifice for all humanity. He dies on the cross as a payment for sins, and God ultimately raises him up to the highest place above all, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's his you know, most heroic moment. But one of the neat things in Scripture, and this is what I want you to get across, I want to get across you throughout the series, is God's hope for you, his vision for you, his plan for you is that you would be a hero. Uh, if you fast forward over to the book of Revelation, this guy John, one of Jesus' followers, gets a sneak preview of what heaven's going to be like. He's fast forward into the future, someday in the future, and John's there looking around heaven, and he looks out and he sees some of you. Now, I'd like to say all of you. I don't know if he sees all of you, but he sees at least some of you. Whether or not he sees you or not, that's up to you to make a decision. Whether or not you want to be one of the people he's talking about in this moment, that's really your choice. But I would like to say he sees all of you, but let's face it, if you want to play the role of a villain or victim in your life, you won't be there. Because he says this. He says, who are all these over here? And Jesus says back to him, oh, these? These are the ones who've overcome. And to them, I will give the right to sit on me with my, uh, to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. That's what he's saying. For the ones who have taken the adversity that's been thrown at them in life and have overcome it, because this life, after all, is about nothing more than having a loving relationship with God that you will need to sustain, maintain, grow in, develop in, rely on, and share with others. Through all the adversities life's going to throw your way, will you maintain that relationship with God and enjoy it for all eternity? He's looking right here at the enjoy for all eternity part. Who are they? These are the ones who've overcome all the adversity in their life and they've heroically met every challenge and stuck with me through it all. That's who they are. And that's where I say, I hope you're a part of that group that he's pointing out. And then lastly, we get to the guide. Uh, The guide is the character that comes alongside every hero, typically in any movie, any story is gonna have a guide, somebody who comes alongside them. And the guide is simply somebody who's already been there. They've gone through those kind of hurts. They've been there before. They've experienced it before. They see somebody else experiencing those same hurts. And so instead of you know, saying, well, good luck with that. No, they come alongside and say, I want to help you get through this. I want to help you move out of the victim mentality, move out of the villainous temptation to become the hero that you can be. And so you know all these. I mean, who was Luke Skywalker's guides? Yoda, Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? They came alongside him and guided him along. Katniss had her guide, remember? Uh, Hamish comes along, and he's kind of like the reluctant guide at the beginning, but he ends up becoming a very good guide and guides her through on how to get on um, to victory. Gandalf guides through Frodo. Interesting story when you think about Rocky Balboa, right? He tries to be a guide and a mentor for Tommy Gunn in one of the movies, right? But that doesn't work out so well, and Tommy becomes a villain. He tries to become a mentor and a guide to his own son, but his son just wants to play the part of a victim. And so who does he ultimately become a guide for or a mentor for? Anybody? Creed, yeah. Apollo's son. Remember Apollo Creed? He has a son. That's what the whole Creed movies are about. It's about where Creed looks to Rocky to be a mentor and a guide, and he sees this up-and-coming fighter as the same spirit he does, and so he's investing in his life. You know, moving to the Bible. Who are some of the guides in the Bible? Well, you got Moses, who was guiding the people through the wilderness, helping them transform from being the, those who have been grown up in captivity with a slave victim mentality, trying to transform them into the heroic people of God who embrace the challenges before them and move into it with God's power and God's provision. He's trying to move them along that way as a guide, shares with them the law and the covenants. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, you've got all the prophets, Samuel, and you've got Nathan, who are guiding Saul and David. Uh, then after that, you've got several other prophets like Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and Isaiah, who are all trying to guide the kings into a right relationship with God. They're not very successful, unfortunately, because they don't want to listen to them as guides. Some of them do, some of them don't, but they're trying the best they can to guide them in the right way. Of course, the New Testament, who's the chief primary guide? 
Jesus, right? That's Jesus. Uh, Listen to this line from Jesus, though. At the end of the book of John, chapter 16, verse 33, let's see how well you are at putting two and two together. He says, I have told you these things. And everything that John's written about in the book of John, which is all the stories he teaches Jesus. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. Because in this world, you will have trouble. Everybody has trouble. Villains have trouble. Victims have trouble. Heroes have trouble. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. The word overcome. Where have I heard that word before? Hmm. Jesus, who are all these here in heaven? These are those who have overcome. I have told you all these things because in this world you'll have trouble. I've overcome the world. And what I want to do as a guide is help you to overcome this world. See, it's the hero who's become the guide. Uh, it says over in Hebrews chapter 6 about Jesus. He's the forerunner of our faith. He's gone before us into the temple, into the most holy place as our priest. And in the line of, well, just like the Melchizedek was a king and a priest. That's who Jesus was. He's a forerunner to go before us, to lead the way. Uh, he would say over in John 14, he says, I'm going to go away to prepare a place for you. And so where I am, you may be with me also. He's saying, I want to help you get to where I am going. That's what I want. That's what the guide wants to do. He wants to bring you along with him. And then Paul over the New Testament takes up the same kind of idea, and Paul wants to be a guide for others. He says in Philippians, like, I, I, I know that this trial could lead to me going uh, up to God in heaven, which I would love to do, but for your sake, I think God's going to lead me here. So he talks about in Philippians chapter 1. Over in 1 Corinthians 11, he says that follow my example as I follow Christ. Sometimes it's you know, hard for us to think about what, what would Jesus do. Well, I'm right in front of you. Do what I'm doing. Follow me as I follow Christ. I'm just a fellow struggler trying to follow after Christ the best I can. I'm pressing on. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to do everything I can to become more like Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. What's he, what's he trying to do? He wants to be a guide for the people of Corinth along the way. So there we have it. We've got the victim. I'm helpless. I can't do anything. We've got the villain. I'm not going to let anybody hurt me. I'm going to take matters in my own hands. And then we've got the hero, which says, I accept the challenges that are in front of me and I will do whatever changing and transforming I have to do to embrace these challenges and move forward in light of everything that's been thrown my way. Then there's the guide who looks to try to make other people or try to help other people become the hero in their own story. So what ends up happening as you're reading through a story is you feel some sense of either empathy or pity for the victim. Sometimes you even get frustrated with them. Uh, For the villain, what do you feel? Anger, frustration, you know, you almost despise the villain for the choices that they've made. With the hero, though, you're usually inspired by what the hero has done. Those are the inspirational stories. And then the guide, you have the utmost respect for a guide. And if you think about your own life and you think about the stories that you've played, um, just like in the movies, what you'll see is that sometimes people are all of them. That's why I showed that opening clip. If you think about Top Gun with the role Maverick plays, there's times where he plays the victim, both in the first and the second one, right? After a goose dies, he's dealing also with his issues with his daddy issues. Like, I just can't do anything up there. I'm not never going to be a good pilot because of my issues with my dad and my past. It's always with me. And then what happened with Goose? And I just, it's always with me. I'll just, and then now I'm, you know, being kicked out, you know, because I don't want to give it away. But he has another adversity he faces in the new movie. And so he's like, oh, now I, I'm going to get kicked out of the Navy now. So I don't have any chances. There's nothing I can do. And this girl's looking at him like, no, you can do something. He's like, no, there's nothing I can do. That was the victim role. Uh, he then plays a villain role where he's sort of out to get Rooster, which is, Spoiler alert, it's Goose's son, but you kind of see that from a mile away. Um, so he's kind of always you know, there be, being an obstacle in Rooster's path, and is it because of something issue with his dad or what? We're not really sure, but Rooster sees him as the villain in his life. It's keeping him. It's always out to get him. and is always putting him down and trying to hold him back, so you have that issue. Then, of course, Maverick has the opportunity to play hero in both movies. I won't tell you how in the second one, but he's obviously the hero of the story. 
But then the other kind of neat thing about what makes sort of the new movie so appealing is you've got this guy who was a maverick in the first movie who is now coming along as a guide and a mentor, and he's trying to guide and mentor Goose's son, um, sort of almost sort of make up for lost time, if you will, but he wants the best for Rooster ultimately in the end, and so he wants to act as a guide and a mentor to this next generation of pilots. And so sometimes you can see you can play all of them. You can play all these different characters. Peta starts off as a victim, but then he kind of moves into a villain role, right, in The Hunger Games. Uh, you've got Anakin, of course, starts off as a victim, you know, because he just hates sand. <laughs> I quote that almost every time I go to the beach. I hate sand. It gets in everything. Um, you know, he hates sand, and then Padme dies, and so what's he do? He becomes a villain. But what happens towards the end of his story? He kind of becomes a hero. He embraces the moment, and he throws the emperor into the abyss. Um, you've had 30-some-odd years to watch, 40 years to watch that. I'm not giving that away. Um, Luke kind of goes the opposite route. Luke starts off as a hero, but then in these newer movies, he kind of plays the role of victim, right? He goes and hides out. I can't do anything. I'm just a menace to society. I, I need to protect everybody from my own you know, self, and so he hides out as a victim, and then he sort of comes back and reluctantly plays the role of guide because the, the new girl, Skywalker, wants his help, and so he reluctantly plays the role of a guide and kind of almost embraces the hero role once again. And so you see, we can change through these different things. In the Bible, you have the same kind of thing. Moses starts off in life. He was the guide at the end, but where does he start off as? Well, to the Egyptian who was doing his job, he was the villain. Moses starts off in life and he murders a guy. And then he plays the victim and he runs out in the wilderness for 40 years. And then God calls him. He says, I want you to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And what's Moses say? I can't do that. I'm not guy. I don't know how to speak. I, I can't do anything. Victim role, right? He finally embraces the hero role, goes back to Pharaoh, says, let my people go, and then ultimately becomes the guide as he leads the people through the wilderness. So there's, you see how people can kind of develop and change over time. We already mentioned that David plays a villain for a while. He plays a victim for a while at other times. He plays a hero for a while. Then he goes back to a villain at the end of his life. He has like a hit list of all the people he wants murdered on his deathbed. It's kind of a weird thing. Um, one of the best ones, though, is Job. In Job, there's this, there's this, uh, there's this tension in the character of Job because his friends are all pushing him to become the villain. Satan is convinced that he can make a villain out of Job. And that's what he tells God at the beginning of the story. He's like, I can make a villain out of Job. Let me take away all the blessings that he's had in his life, and you watch. He'll become as villainous as anybody else. And so, and then he brings his friends in. And his friends all basically say, you're to blame for this. You know, even if you don't think you're to blame, just go ahead and say whatever you need to say to get all your stuff back, right? Uh, and they're trying to push him to be a villain. His wife tries to push him to be a villain. Just curse God and die, right? But what does Job do? He, he takes on the role of a hero at the beginning of the story. And he says, should I accept the good from God and not the bad? The Lord's given, the Lord's taken away, but the name of the Lord shall be praised. And so he, he starts off sort of in a hero motif, but that weighs on him after a while, and he moves to the victim motif in chapter 3, where he says, I just wish I was never born. And then as I mentioned before, he's like, you know, I, I want to argue with God, but what good is that going to do? Even though I know I'm right, it does. You ever argued with anybody in your life where even if you're right, you know you're not going to win the argument? That's sort of picturing what Job's dealing with when he talks about God, literally. I, I, even though I think I'm right, I know I couldn't win the argument even if I was right. I can't win the argument against God, so he plays the victim role. But even as he's struggling with the victim role, you can still see this hero role deep within him trying to get out. He'll say things like, though he slay me, yet will I place my hope in him. That's right in the middle of the book of Job. There's a line in there he says, yet I know my Redeemer lives. He has this hope that God will still redeem his life somehow, some way, that, that if he just presses on. And the other characteristic we'll see of a hero is they own their own faults. At the end of the book of Job, when God confronts him, 
He says, surely I spoke of things too wonderful for me to know, too lofty for me to understand. You know, so I repent in dust and ashes for playing the victim through this, through this season. I repent for blaming you for these things. And so Job owns his issues, which is a very heroic thing to do. There's nothing more heroic than owning your issues. That's what a, that's what a hero does. The victim, they're going to blame everybody else for the issues. The villain, they're going to blame everybody else for their issues. But the hero owns their issues. Now, think about it in your own life. You'll find that sometimes you could play all four of these roles in one day. I know I do. I was thinking about this. I, ha- I had one day where all these things happened in one day. And by the way, I don't want your sympathy. I don't want your coaching. I'm just telling you what's going on. I deal with these things, okay? I have my own helps. I don't want your help. Every time I share anything personal, I'll be like, oh, oh, no, I don't want it. Um, so... You know, I play the victim card sometimes, and this one, you know, this happens oftentimes with Jewel. You know, I've got a special needs child, which requires extra help, and I look at everybody else and their kids, and, you know, their high school kids are out, you know, doing things and helping around the house, but yet Jewel is still like a preschooler, and I'm like, you know, I feel like as if I get a penalty flag every single time I try to run a, run a lap, you know, on the NASCAR race. You know, every, for every three laps we all race, you guys get to stay there on the track running, you know, strong with your kids, but nope, I got to come in for a pit stop with Jewel. Nope, I gotta still do bath time. Nope, I still gotta do her hair. Nope, I, I still have to do everything, right? And so I get this victim mentality of like, oh, why me, right? Then I'll have a villain moment about a week ago on the same day uh, due to a clerical error of some sort. Uh, Wells Fargo froze all of my bank accounts. There is a reason God does not let me win the billion dollar lottery. Because if I had that much power to hire that many lawyers, there would have been hell to pay, right? Everything in me wanted to summon up a villain. You ever been, you ever gotten cut off with customer no service? And <laughs> if you had the means and the power to carry out a villainous response, you would. You with me on this? I was there, you know? And then in that very same day, uh, I, the same task list I've been talking to you about the past couple of weeks. I'm working on my own life, and so I know that Rome's not built in a day, and the things I want to see accomplished aren't going to happen overnight, and so every single day, I just plug away and put something on the plot, and so I did something and checked some stuff off my list that I had on my to-do list for the day, and I heroically took responsibility for those things and took ownership of things I can change, and then at the same time, in that very same day, somebody else is going through something I went through as well in my own life, and I was able to coach them and mentor them, guide them through that uh, own issue as well. So in just one day, I can be all four. Now, what you have to recognize is there's also seasons where one of these will typify your season. Sometimes you've been in a season of the victim mentality. What can I do? There's nothing I can do. Sometimes it's because of something's happened to you. You've lost something. You've lost a job. You've lost a loved one. Uh, you've lost a marriage. And because you've lost that, you think you're helpless and this is all happening to me, a health issue, whatever it might be. And so as a result, of you, there's nothing I can do. Uh, maybe you've got an addiction that you feel like as if it's just become completely uncontrollable, unmanageable. What can I possibly do? Well, I I can think of three easy steps you could start with. Admit that you're powerless. Recognize that God can help you. And three would be to turn your life over to God. I don't know where those three steps came from, but I think if you come on Wednesday nights, you'll hear more about them. (laughs) Sometimes you go through seasons where you've played the villain. And if you don't think you have, maybe ask your wife or your husband if you've ever played the villain. Where you blame everybody else and you begin to use everybody else and you separate yourself from your friendships or your friendships get separated from you because the way you treat people during that season... You force people either to become an enabler or to be out of your life completely when you're going through a villainous streak. Um, and so you're always looking for revenge or get back or guilt, guilt trips or gaslighting or manipulation. You want to use God and use people instead of loving God and loving people. 
And some of you can identify you've gone through a season like that. Some of you are in a heroic season where you've begun to accept responsibility for your life and you made a list of all the things that you've done and the things that, you know, some things that are my bad, some things are your bad, some things that are just it's bad. And for the things that are my bad, I've repented. I've made amends for those things. For the things that are your bad, I've sought you out to make amends where possible and given the forgiveness as best as I can because of what Jesus Christ has done through me. And for the it's bad stuff, I just accept there are some things in life I just cannot change. I think I embrace the serenity prayer as I move through that season of my life. There's other times where you're thrust into the role of a guide. And sometimes you think of a guide as like this old geezer helping people along. No, you play the guide at all different stages of your life. As soon as you have a kid, you're a guide automatically. There you are. You're a guide. You you have to be, if you don't want to embrace that role, if you want to be a victim, you cannot parent as a victim. You cannot parent as a villain. They may think you're the villain, but you can't parent well as a villain. You have to parent as a guide, right? You have to help them through those struggles so they can see they can become heroic in their own life. What I also see is, um, it only takes about, what, three, four years in Hampton Roads to become a local? Because you've been here longer than everybody else, pretty much, right? I mean, the Navy just brings in a whole new crop of people about every two, three years, right? So after about four years, you, you're, you're the old guy, right? You've been around, you're the old timer in this place. And that's why at your work, where you work so often, is there like a moment where you wake up and you're like, wow, I realize I've been here longer than just about everybody else. I've only been here five years, but I guess I'm like the, you know, the old folk around here now. I even see this with our teenagers, that the sophomores, juniors, and seniors are going back into the middle school to be mentors and guides to the younger students. So the mentor-guide role can happen at any different stage of your life. Don't just think about this in the older role. And maybe there's seasons in your life where that's what you're called upon to do, is to be that mentor, that role, that guide for somebody. Um, So what am I I getting at with all this? Well, a couple things I want you to recognize. Number one is that two of these roles will happen by your own sinful nature by default. The other two roles require intentionality. You will naturally slide into the victim role or the villain role because that's where Satan wants to take you. That's where our sinful nature will push us. Adam and Eve, victim. A lot of other folks about time, Cain, went to, went to the villain role, right? So you go very back to the beginning. So Satan or life or the tendency or a sinful nature, whatever you want to say it, you will drift into victim and villain mentality. You have to intentionally choose the path of heroism or of being a guide. You can look at somebody else hurting in the same way you've hurt and either say, well, best of luck to them. Or you can say, you know, maybe God's put me in this position for such a time as this. That's what Esther says when she's in that moment, right? And you heroically take your stand and step into that moment. Some of you are going through all kinds of adversity and you want to play the victim. You're tempted to be the villain. But are you going to be able to transform through this process and become the person God's calling you to be, becoming more like him in the process? Will you intentionally choose to be a hero? So I want you to know that it takes intentionality to be what God wants you to be, which is the hero and the guide in life. Second of all, I want you to know that you're not typecasted. That's why we named this, this series what it is. Oftentimes we begin to think, you know what typecasting is? That's where somebody does such a good job as a leading man, they always get cast as the leading man. Some people play such a good villain, they always get cast as the villain, like, like, like a classic villain. Christopher Walken, the classic villain, right? There's some people, they just always turn up as the villain, the mafia guy, whatever it might be. They're always that character. They're always the bad guy in every film that they play in. And so they get typecast by Hollywood that they're always going to be the bad guy. Some people may have typecasted you because that's who they think that you are. I want you to know no matter what you've been, you can be something else. That's why God says to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The old roles you played is gone. The new has come. Over in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, it says this. And that's what some of you were. Some of you were the victim. Some of you were the villain. 
He says, but you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you are now. I want you to know you don't have to continue playing the part that you've always played. You don't have to continue playing the role that everybody else expects you to play. You can break out of it. And it may take a while for you to realize you're not the villain anymore. You're not the victim anymore, that you're taking ownership of this. Uh, and you can be the guide too. Um, you, can, you can step into that role. Even though you may say, well, who's going to want me as a guide? Anybody who could use your knowledge and experience or wisdom of what you've learned along the years. And sometimes we don't feel like we're qualified to be a guide. That's what Hamish's problem was. He wasn't a guide, he was a drunk. But then he realized he has the power, he has the ability to help somebody else uh, succeed in, in their hunger games. Um, so I want you to know that two of them take intentionality. The two that God's called you to be are take intentionality. You're not typecasted and stuck in this role. Uh, and then lastly, um, I want you to be able to be aware of this so you can begin to identify these patterns in your own life and begin to ask yourself, which one of these am I in this, am I at, or how am I dealing with this adversity in this season? When adversity comes in your life, are you dealing with it in which one of these roles? Are you taking it on as the villain? Are you taking it on as a hero? Are you taking it on as a victim? As you move through each day and something bad happens in the middle of the day, how are you going to respond? Are you going to respond as the victim, as the villain, or as a hero? When you see adversity happen in somebody else's life, will you embrace the opportunity to be a guide? And just having this motif for me seems to be an easy way to step into the role God wants me to play. And that's why I wanted to share it with you in this series. So just as you move through your life, begin to ask, with the adversity I'm facing right now, which role am I playing? Which role do I want to be playing? Where is God calling me in this? And as each day goes by, when you deal with the adversity of your day, will you take it on as a victim? Will you take it on as a villain? Or will you embrace it and realize that this may require me to transform in my role? Um, so with that, let's close our time out in prayer. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for that, Father, that you heroically took our sins to the cross. That you might be transformed from the incarnate God to the God who saves. The God who's a ransom. The God who truly is worthy of that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are the Savior and Lord and King over all, that you truly are worthy because of the love that you've expressed over all of us. And Father, may we allow you and embrace you as a guide that would lead us into a relationship with you. May we recognize the sinful victim mentalities or the villainous attitudes that we have. and embrace the role of a hero that would own our issues, repent from our problems, and move into a right relationship with you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.